And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague Michael Felder from Stadium. As always, to break down the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. And this week, we are going to be joined by friend of the pod, Chris Vanini. And Chris is going to help us make sense of something that happened late Monday night out in Pullman, Washington. Nick Rolovich was fired for cause by Washington State because he refused to get vaccinated and the state had a mandate. It was against state law and he's the state's highest paid employee. Nick Rolovich and four assistants were fired on Monday. Jake Dicker, defensive coordinator, is the interim head coach. And Chris, let's start there. This was kind of maybe floating under the radar a little bit. I'm not sure how many people pay attention to Wazoo. And Nick Rolovich hasn't been there very long. He was hired right before COVID, so he hasn't even coached that many games. How did we get to this point? Yeah, I mean, simply put, the state of Washington said all state employees will have to be vaccinated or get an exemption. And for a while, Nick Rolovich just wouldn't say what he was going to do or why. And it it, be, it was slowly building to something bigger and bigger. And we didn't exactly know what was going on. And, and, you know, even when the mandate comes down, he's kind of dodgy about what he's going to do. And it culminates in Monday night, the deadline. And A.D. Pat Chun basically said he cannot be an employee of Washington State University if he's not vaccinated and obviously didn't get that exemption. And so he's gone. And this comes at the end of a three-game winning streak. They're now four and three. They just beat Stanford. And it, it, it marks – one of the craziest endings I think we've ever seen to, to a coaching tenure, 11 games, one of those being the COVID year. And then you're gone halfway through a, a, a season because you won't get a vaccine. Just very, very strange situ- situation all around. It feels like, I, I mean, just tell me if I'm wrong, but this feels like a job that is not going to come around again, $3 million a year salary, but a power five job. I mean, this is what coaches strive to get their whole careers this is the goal like i don't understand why someone is willing to give that up over over not getting a shot that you know lots of places have mandated and private employers have mandated this is a state law lots of people are doing it to help other people in their lives make it safer for other people like, like he's he's not going to have an opportunity like this again, right? Like, this is throwing away or essentially derailing your own career. 
Yeah, if you're an athletic director or a president, how can you trust him? He, he, he's your coach. That's what this comes down to. He, from the very beginning, took a stance against his bosses, and they were never on the same side of this. And uh, Sean even said yesterday he had hoped, you know, during this winning streak that he would come around and, and realize that it was worth doing and stuff like that. But in the end, he didn't. Uh, Pat Chun said he, he, he met with uh, – they met with Rolovich, and then he left. I, I d- didn't sound like he even said – goodbye to his players in some sort of meeting. So yeah, if if you're an AD or a president who looks to hire him, how can you trust that he's going to do what's in the best interest of your school and the best interest of university? uh, If if you're the boss, there's no trust there anymore. And that's why just, it's just a remarkable essentially downfall over the span of just a handful of months. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy like rising star from Hawaii to getting the job at obviously at Wazoo, and they started to make things kind of cook a little bit this year, uh, up and down. But the 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 question that I have and wanted to get in here is, what what does Wazoo do now? Because they've at least put a hard line in, and they they and it's I don't even know that it's a hard line. I, I feel weird saying that it's a hard line to do the to, to do something that's kind of been scientifically proven but they we do know where they stand how does how do they go forward as a football team as a football program uh not just this year you know kind of trying to fill in the spaces but also as they go about hiring a coach trying to find a guy that is willing to go out to Pullman that is willing to 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 kind of you know be the tent that goes over right I mean this is a tough job it's out in eastern Washington near Idaho they have never they haven't finished higher than eighth in the Pac-12 in recruiting rankings since 2006, and that was back when there was only 10 teams. Um, they are, I think, 63rd or something in the Power Five in talent, uh, team talent based on recruiting rankings. Only five Power Five teams are below them, so it's a hard place to get players. And now you're going to have to get uh, a coach who, for some of these players, he'll be their he he will be their third head coach in four years for a lot of these players. And you're going to have to build up a lot of trust um, from Washington state's perspective. They had no choice. I mean, they, they had to let him go. It was the state law. He couldn't be an employee of the school. So that the, their hands were kind of tied in this. They couldn't just not do it. So it's um, it, it creates a really difficult situation for the next head coach to come into. What do they actually do the rest of the season though? If they're down five coaches. Well, they are in the process of hiring some more. Okay. Uh, Chun said, he said, that, you know, they knew this was coming. And so they've started that process of doing background checks and stuff like that. So um, we'll see in the coming days, you know, who that is, because you're, you're allowed 11 full-time coaches, including the head coach. Five of them are now gone. Um, Jake Dickert, the defense coordinator, who's done a very good job this year, by the way, um, is now the interim head coach. And so we'll probably find out in the next day or two because they play BYU this week. So, so it's a <clears throat> it's a tough path ahead for the rest of the season. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like this to lose half a coaching staff in the middle of the season. Yeah, I'm thinking about this in comparison to some of the other. Um, obviously, USC and LSU have had midseason changes, but you know, it's it's the head coach or it's Ed Ogeron right. staying on through the year. Like you don't lose the whole staff. Um, it's just it, it's really it's really wild and and just to double check this, there's no other 
state school with a mandate with a head coach who's not been vaccinated, correct? Like this is the this was the one situation where this could happen. Uh, are you saying like is, is there, there yeah is state with the law or or no is there another head coach that we need to keep an eye on? Mm, not that I know of. I, I haven't seen anybody pop up. Uh, uh, another interesting part of this: one of the four assistants, assistants let go by Washington State was Craig Stutzman, the co-offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach who actually calls the plays. His brother, Billy Ray Stutzman, was let go at Navy earlier this season for the exact same reason because the because the naval academy required it and he didn't get it and he chose to go off so now it's so so it's it's and and he also billy ray stutzman used to work for rolovich at hawaii as well so there is a lot of connections and kind of how certain people feel about this wow well chris thank you so much for making sense of all of this chris will be all over who they'll look at coaching candidates, who they're going to replace, um, add to the staff, and any other coaching changes the rest of the way. Um, Chris Vanini, National College Football Writer, thanks so much for joining us. Yep, and the number one requirement for that next coach is going to be uh, to be vaccinated. So just wanted to make sure that was clear. Very, very important detail. Um, and the number one thing in the job profile. So thank you, Chris. Um, and we will have you back on soon. Yep, see you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Felder. So we'll get into some actual football now. And then we'll also get into the other major news um, fresh out of Monday, which was Tennessee getting a quarter million dollar fine for the end of the Ole Miss game. So we'll get there after we'll talk a little... Probably should. I feel like whatever the maximum. Honestly, I, I let's. Why, start, do we have, let's, do no, we let's have to wait for it? Let's talk about it now. Okay, let's go. I find it to be remarkably disgusting. It's infuriating. It goes back to what we talked about a week ago with storming the field. Falls in line with that. This is this is the type of stuff that I do not like. This is why I often like. There are times that fans can be the worst part of sports, and everybody talks about college football, and it's like with the pageantry and the fans and the. the 
it, this is the part that I hate. This is the part that I do not like. This is the part that I find to be inexcusable, to be utterly despicable and disgusting. And it is one of those things. I got a text from one of my friends who was at the Music City Bowl in 2010. And they were like, oh, my God, those fans, were do- they did it again. And I, I'm not. this is not me blaming, saying that Tennessee fans are the only fans that are like this. But because it was a specific interaction with Tennessee fans at the Music City Bowl and the way that that ended, I find that, listen, officials screw up. Officials are bad. You find me any fan of a team who doesn't think that their conference has the worst officials, I'd love to find them. Because every week, every week, every game, everyone is like, oh, that's because of Big 12 refs. That's because of SEC refs. That's because of Pac-12 refs. That's because of Big 10 refs. That's because of ACC. Everybody thinks their refs all suck. Everyone does. They all do. Everyone thinks that. But it's because those are the games that you watch the most. So you don't see any other stuff that happens in other leagues. So you don't know what you're talking about. But this, I'm fired up because this is something for me that just, the fact that a game had to be stopped, not because somebody was hurt or injured down on the field, not because, you know, for for something that happened with people that belong in between the chalk, but because people from outside of the field Inter, interceded, inter, interfered with what was going on. That's just that's not okay. And I understand the whole discussion of well, they were faking injuries and they're, they're yeah, I get it. And I still don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know because one, I don't think it's as big of a problem as I, I think that guys are hurt. I think more often than not. Like, if you're the best player, you don't want to come off the field. If you're the best pass rusher, you don't want to come off the field. If you're the guy that's – you've already made 10 tackles, you don't want to come off the field because you want to get number 11. So I understand that people talk, discuss it as a strategy in general, but at the same time, I think more often than not, guys do have something wrong with them. I think you are giving the fan defense too much credit here. Like, I get that that's where they're, they're – they're started or where they started to be annoyed. But even if you think that the other team is faking injuries, there's no reason that this should be a reaction. No, absolutely. It's in going to listen. I'll, I don't care. I'll date myself. I'll sound old. I don't care. You got to have some home training. And somebody, somebody said to me on Twitter, they're like, well, they have been liquored up for, you know, a day and a half. So, you know, that you got to like, that's just kind of what happens. And I was like, no, I've been liquored up for a day and a half, and I don't throw stuff. No, but also, like, is this happening every week? Like, lots of places. Everyone has drank before college football games for the history of college football. Yeah. People don't, people don't throw stuff onto the field. And, like, it was – what I mean, I wish I timed it because I thought it was going to stop. But it was, like, at least a half hour it, of real time, right? Well, the, see, here's my, here's my real time – kind of the way that I monitor things. Because I look at when games start versus when games end. And the uh, let me pull it up because I want to make sure I get the game right. Okay, well, the, I'll tell the, you. I got it right here. I got it okay. right here. So we're talking about Ole Miss, Tennessee, which was a 6.30 Central kick, a 7.30 Eastern kick. That game lasted longer than UCLA, Washington, which was an hour later kick. Okay. And it was because of that delay in the middle. 
Like, you can say it was because of the injuries. You can say it because of reviews. You can say it's what, the scoring. But the reality is that delay is what pushed it over the brink. They were getting close to time before the massive delay, which I think ended up being like 20, 24 minutes or something like that. But the re- yeah. it, it just, I don't know. And, just and, they, and, and they kept throwing stuff as yeah. the game finished. I mean, like, obviously we saw Lane do the one-handed Odell Beckham catch on, on the way out, too. So so here's what happened on, on Monday, in case you missed it. Um, the SEC fined Tennessee $250,000. Commissioner Greg Sankey said the disruption of Saturday night's game is unacceptable, cannot be repeated on any SEC campus. And they added this element, which is obviously going to be quite difficult for a night game and uh, just based on the circumstances, but... Quote, they'll be required to use all available resources, including security, stadium, and television video, to identify individuals who threw objects onto the playing field or at the opposing teams. All individuals identified as having been involved in disrupting the game shall be prohibited from attending Tennessee athletics events for the remainder of the 21-22 academic athletic year. So... I, I like the idea behind that. I, sure. I don't know if they're going to be able to actually do it. And then also that they're going to look at how, you know, their alcohol sales impacted things. You know, if it was if it was different than usual, whatever. But they're not they're not banning them from selling alcohol in the game. We talked about this, right? Like, you know, other people can drink and get rowdy and not throw things, not throw yeah, full water bottles listen, at fans. We're, we're not this ain't Jamie Foxx, right? Blame it on the alcohol. We're not doing that. No. You're the, you're, if you're if you're old enough to drink, you're old enough to think, and I think that's the big that's the big thing for me. So like, no, we're, don't there's there is no excuse, and I like it sounds it all sounds good. I think you're correct on that, and you you hit the nail on the head with the idea. I just don't know how they're going to do it, but you also you also recognize, and again, this I'll I don't mean to keep circling back to field storming, but I think these things are tied together because. You also recognize the gravity, the scope of if these fans actually wanted to, they could have overtaken that field, those teams, the whole stadium. They could have done that. And that's the part, like, you recognize, like, the impending fear of that being on the table. Like, the idea that, like, bragging about having 100,000 people, all I can think about is, well, we travel 75. And then we've got, you know, 30 support staff. And then my mom and dad are up there in the stands. And, like, if they want to, we're toast. We're toast. And so part of that contract between venues, fans, opposing teams, even home teams, part of that contract is understanding that you don't come or interact with this playing surface. And it's not the same as an NBA game, right? Where the NBA game, what do you got? 19,000 people there? With more, probably with around the same amount of security, but everything's tighter, everything's closer. So they can find the lady that is trying to cuss out LeBron. They can find the person who's trying to do this. Like they, can't, like they can do that. Here, you're looking for what? A white guy in an orange polo shirt? Good luck. To your point about the field storming, Nick Saban was asked about crowd control on Monday, too. And he's showed a baseball-sized bruise on his left arm 
from the A&M field storming a week and a half ago. So it, it's definitely an issue, and, and I will still stand by that I think basketball, based on the speed in which people can get down there, and very, like I think that can be incredibly dangerous really quickly. Um, and in football, maybe you have more of a chance to get off the field or get to a more safer place. But, you know, I, I think that the, the penalties associated with different things um, – you need it needs to be something that's actually going to deter this because fan behavior since sports have returned has not been great. Like we're talking about throwing water bottles in the NBA and they were identif- able to identify the guys, right? Like that was more singular for sure. Um, but we've had the same issue where, I, you know, I think we, we touched on this a little bit with the faking of the injuries, booing your own quarterback. Like these are the home home crowd fans doing this, which is also unprecedented because Tennessee had a chance to come back and win the game. And they should have stopped the game. I I, I just couldn't believe that they weren't. There was 54 seconds left, and it was the home crowd doing this. So my I, I just I don't know how you fix that fundamentally. I, I do think the only solution is to have these bans, right? Like the NBA what? permanently banned people. The problem it's just with this hard one to is, find them. yes, it's going to be hard to identify them. But like, what other penalty would actually stop people from doing this stuff? I don't, I don't, I don't. That's a, that's and that's my whole thing. Like, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it feels, it sounds like it's good, but it feels like lip service because at the end of the day, no one that I'm gonna maybe they catch a couple people, but the reality of it is, most people aren't going to suffer any consequences. Most people aren't going to have to deal with anything. They're not paying that fine. It's not coming out of their student dues. It's not coming. Like they're not paying the fine. So it's, it feels like lip service. I don't know. I have no, I, I honestly don't know. And like, it just, I keep going back to this, but when you look at how many security guards, ushers, you know, state police or whatever was there, like, what were they going to do? Right. What were they going to do? Like, well, my favorite part was in that video where Lane is actually exiting the field after he'd been hit with the golf ball after stuff, and he there's another water bottle. The state trooper guy who's supposed to be protecting him ducks when something comes flying. I mean, yeah. natural reaction. Sure. But that didn't do anything. I mean, you know, this was yeah, the you know one situation. Well, those this, guys are scared too. Right. And this is the one situation <laughs> where you actually have security. Like, these guys always have security, right? And we're always yeah. like, oh, my God, they're just a college football coach. Um, I mean, we had friends like we had media friends. I could see them on the field ducking, yep. covering their head like you could see that it was just relentless and happening. Yeah. Um, so I, so I don't know. And again, not all. I mean, I'm not saying any other fan base wouldn't get to this point, because, again, sure. I think fan behavior is, you know, in a not great place right now. But I mean, like David Ubbin, my colleague, wrote a good column about how, like, Tennessee fans, because of a pocket of this fan base, are getting a really bad rep nationally because of their overreacting to small slights, like officiating. Everyone gets mad at officiating. Right. And they react this way, and now they get painted with a broad brush. But they have a history of doing this, like you just mentioned, the Music City Bowl, right? Like, there's something... It got to do something. And if you're a Tennessee fan that is not in that small pocket that is doing things that make the rest of the fan base look bad... You gotta be, you gotta be furious. You gotta be sure. so annoyed that you're getting painted with this broad brush as being totally unruly and unreasonable and embarrassing. 
Yeah, I like the thing for me. I, I, I and what this is why I've tried to not say specifically Tennessee, just fans in general. Because I don't want, I don't need any Tennessee fans to send me a tweet about this at all because I don't care. Um, what, like, I don't care what defense you offer up. Like, the, the point for me is fans in general, listen to me, fans in general, and if it's not you, guess what? I'm not talking about you. But what I am talking about is the way that fans interact with the playing surface, with the players that are on said playing surface, with the players going on and off the field or court or what have you, it is, I guess, I don't, I, and maybe, maybe I, I don't know, I'm kind of losing my words now because I'm getting more frustrated. But the point for me is, if you've never been down at the bottom of a pit with people standing over you, yelling down at you, then you don't understand what it feels like to... To one, every single player, every single coach, they recognize how bad that situation can turn in an instant. And we saw it start to turn on on Saturday. With at at happened to be at Tennessee, but with Oklahoma and the like, could have been like they're booing and the whole deal and, and chanting for the backup. That's fine, and we're going to talk about what the what their quarterback situation is. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But like, I don't think enough people have. Been down. You've been on the field for games. Yeah. You feel the gravity of all of that down upon you. And I don't think people recognize that, like, just as in and of itself. Like, that's a – yes, people talk about, I love, you know, be, being in the arena and I love the, light, the, sh- the bright lights and roar of the crowd. But there's also this element of – Oh, I'm just like a little one thing down here, and there's this huge mass that at some point they can turn on me, whether it's turn on me verbally, turn on me physically, turn on me with projectiles. I mean, we've this isn't the first time we've seen people throw stuff down on the field. You watch NFL games, guys are getting guys get hit with stuff all the time. You watch again, you you reference the what was it, Kyrie Irving? Somebody throwing a water ball at him at, a, at a, I believe it was a Celtics game. You've referenced that. Like we've, but you, SMU, um, watching those guys from SMU throw, yeah. throw stuff. Uh, it was it two years ago. Like I'm, this isn't new. It's not weird. It's not, it's not that, no, 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 excuse the, me. The difference, the difference was the gravity. disrupting the game. Yeah. The amount of time that it didn't stop and that there was a fine over it. Yeah. Cause I think, I think SMU, if I'm remembering right, they just, they like cleared out the student section. Right. In the so game, it's, it's one of those. So I just I don't I don't know what I don't remember what they did. I just remember I believe it was Memphis scoring a touchdown and guys getting stuff thrown at them. Michigan throwing stuff, right? Like we've seen that happen as well. So it hell the picture of the weekend was the kid from Purdue drinking a beer that was thrown, that was thrown at him right on the field. Like it's not this isn't an isolated incident. It's an elevated incident, but it's not isolated. And yeah. Yeah, and I don't, the- I don't know what you do. I I think there, there's got to be something. I think you're right though that like, the crowds can turn fast. I, I you know I don't know if that's upping security. Like I, I don't really I don't really know what the answer is. But I I think the penalties need to be as severe as possible. You got to so find them to put the penalty on them. Happen right right. Yeah right. All right, we don't have so, to belabor the point. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk actual football. Let's talk Oklahoma because yes. we we're, were we're mentioning that a couple weeks ago, 
the Norman crowd chanted, we want Caleb. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it because they were mad at Spencer Rattler's performance. It was underwhelming, and they wanted the backup quarterback in. Well, as it turns out, uh, the backup quarterback's really good. Sure. And he came in in Red River. We talked about him a little bit last week. But he got his first start against TCU. Oklahoma wins 52-31. Caleb's final stat line, 18 of 23, 295 yards, four touchdowns. Rush for 66 himself. Um, touchdowns on the first two drives. Once he started scrambling later in the game, running, you know, we saw that element of it too. We talked about this last week, but like having a running quarterback, a real run threat changed this offense. Like the way that I kept thinking about it when I'm watching Oklahoma play this game was this is how easy this offense is supposed to look. Like I know it's not easy to play, but that's what it's supposed to look like under Lincoln Riley. Yeah, and the, the, again, the difference starts on the, along the offensive line, but it also goes back to when you have a quarterback that can run, you op- you give the offensive line help. I got a chance to talk to like a Marshall Newhouse who actually played at TCU, and we were talking about like that's an added benefit, right? Because the first touchdown that Caleb Williams ever scored was on a run, and it was a run where the running back was a lead blocker. So when you have five offensive linemen, you throw a tight end in there, and then you get a lead blocker. Now instead of five guys blocking, you have seven guys. Okay, seven guys to block what is usually a box of, of seven. That's seven on seven. Now we have space. We don't have to make him make a guy miss to pick up the big yardage and obviously score that long touchdown. You flip to the TCU game, and uh, when there it's, it's the third quarter at like the 9, 9.30, 9.28 mark, uh, a, a, a touchdown that he throws, and you can see the way that his legs control TCU. They run play action. The play action's nice. Play action is going to get you some space. But then he does the I'm running for the pylon move where you duck down. And when you duck down, run for the pylon, now everyone's like, oh, no, he's going to run. They get, They let... Drake Stoops and Jaden Hazelwood, just go. Just run by yourself. Be free. Go just completely, like, just full-on butt naked. And you can't do that. And, like, literally, you know what, Auerbach? I'm going to, listen, I'm going to copy the, like, I I got it. I I have it pulled up because I want to draw this play. I'm putting it in the chat. You click it, you watch it, and you'll see, like, literally, they, they play on the entire whole idea of, oh, he might run. And it's amazing. It's a Hazelwood touchdown. It's so easy. They show the rear replay. And the fact of it is, is that it's, it's, it's Stoops and Hazelwood come out like they're going to, like they're going to stalk block for him to run. They show, they flash their hands like they're stalk blocking. The defensive backs are like, oh no. They both, do you see them both zoom? They both zoom straight to, they're closing down. And now you have two receivers wide open, and I think that's the difference. So for me, it's not about better or worse. It's about different, and this team needs that different element, right? They need they need more of a runner even than Kyler Murray. They need more of a runner than Baker Mayfield and certainly more of a runner than Spencer Rattler so that they can make this offense cook, and we're seeing it cook. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, they're still undefeated. They didn't. They haven't lost a game. Yep. We're, we're Everyone's hand-wringing about them when they had Rattler and all the issues. But suddenly feel very different about them in terms of the playoff picture and the rest of the season. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go to a team that we also feel different about in terms of maybe the rest of the season. Iowa. Iowa loses to Purdue. Purdue, one of my favorite stats that I didn't know existed until Saturday is their very specific record against number two teams in the nation and how (laughs) historically they are just great at beating the number two team in the nation. Okay, so let's let's get into this one. Purdue wins 24-7. It was not close. I feel like this was a game where Purdue was clearly the superior team, both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. David Bell was was just a monster, 240 yards. Um, Who do you think was better in this game, Bell or Karloftis? Oh, that's a hard question because Karloftis is like my favorite player in the country that no one talks about. Yeah. So like, like real, like legitimately, who, who do you think was better? Well, uh, okay. You, you, you have to pick one. You have to pick one. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I'll say David Bell. I'll give him his shine for this one, because I. But I love George Karloftis, and I think he might be the best defensive player in the Big Ten. Yeah, but people, 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 people don't partial watch to Jaquan uh, to, to to Brisker. Brisker Brisker has been phenomenal as well. I I think that these two players, though, th- ironically, these were the last two players I sat down with in person before COVID. Wow. I went to Purdue. In the spring of 2020, <laughs> to do a story about how they had these young guys who were phenomenal and yeah. really good, and um, you know had started to break out like they weren't a secret. But and Rondale was coming back. This was heading into last year, right? Yeah. Um, and so they were the two. They were the two last players that I sat down with in person before everything shut down, and. You know, Karlaftis is just great personality, just delightful. Um, Bell's a little more serious, but like, that's the story. Like, it was that these yeah. two guys are great, and because they play at Purdue, and Purdue's been a little uneven. Maybe not everyone knows that, um, but but they are they're awesome, and and I think that you know that that's why it's a great question: which of them was more dominant? Which of them was more impressive in this game? Because they both did it, and David Bell has done this to Iowa. Like the crazy thing here, and and we we're arguing about this on Big Ten Network um, because, mm-hmm. like, is there a blueprint? Like Purdue has played Iowa really well in the Jeff Brom era. Like they they can beat Kirk Ferentz. They can beat this this system and this style um, in a way that other teams can't or or don't over this stretch. Um, but, but I don't know. Cause I mean, you still have to execute, you still have to have the right players. You still have to do the right things. Um, and this Iowa team in particular cannot score fast 
is not positioned well. So like by the mid middle of the third quarter, the game is over because you knew that Iowa wasn't going to be able to, to score enough in this game. So, so I don't, I, you know, I don't know if there's, if there's larger things you think that you can take out of this, but I think the bigger question is, um, is there, you know, like, can, can Iowa fix the offense enough? I mean, they have a good running back in Tyler Goodson, but so, they can't run the ball. So really? Yeah. They, they're, they're, so here's the thing. I like, for me, I want to start on the positive side from a Purdue standpoint. Brom, great. And he comes, where does, where does Brom come from? That Petrino pipeline, right? And what is Petrino known for? His ability to use layered pass, layered route trees or layered passing concepts, which are incredibly tough to cover in zone and man. So when you see them, we talked about zone, right? We've talked about zone a little bit. So what they do is they stretch the zone out. And by stretching the zone out, it creates bigger holes. Bigger holes mean more opportunity. And that's where David Bell absolutely cooked. He was able to cook in the like that crossover space where if you're playing in compressed space, if you're playing the way that um, a lot of what we saw Michigan has done, a lot of what Wisconsin does, a lot of what Iowa even does is compressed space where they play from an offensive standpoint, they only run routes that are 12 yards deep, 16 yards deep. So if you're only covering that 20 and down, now you've got seven bodies, uh, sometimes eight bodies in a 20 and down space. So Purdue always threatens over 20, over 25, over 30. There's somebody that you have to pay attention to up there. And because of that, somebody can come in behind them and make a catch, make a play, and now you're tackling one-on-one, which is a lot more of a man-to-man situation. We saw Iowa try to flip and play man-to-man. So those those open spaces weren't there. They couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it playing man-to-man. And their bread and butter, so your, your bread and butter doesn't work. And then you flip to man-to-man, and you're just, you're getting beat. They, like, you can't, they can't cover this guy one-on-one. Can't do it. And Hankins, I know Hankins has battled injury, battled some injuries, and I know that, but he's still their best corner, and he can't cover one on one their best guy. So what do you do? And you have to, you're in this delicate space where you have to kind of go between zone and man and zone and man, and I don't know what we're doing. And now your linebackers are being asked to cover guys down the field, and now it's all, it's not good. That's the tough part. So that's what they, that's what Purdue did. I thought that was really cool to watch, and it was really fun to see things that I've like. Stuff that I like, I mean, it's stuff that Louisville was running when they were in Conference USA. Like it's old, like it's the same stuff. It works. Um, do you then, do do you have a favorite Purdue interception this week? Since oof, I didn't I didn't count I didn't log them like I'd been logging those Iowa ones. Okay, but I, well, I might have to go the, back and check them out. There, the the final three drives for well, Iowa it they, is an interception because they well, were here's the obviously problem. Desperate. They're they're so easy. Yes, which is why I don't. I don't think you have a favorite. I just wanted to poke fun. I, it's our favorite game, and there was only one for Iowa, and they lost the game. So maybe there's a favorite Purdue. I mean, that's the pro- the problem for those. They were so easy. It was just an underneath defender uh, right. stepping up and taking the football away. We had another guy like these. I don't. This these goes, were the this forced goes, versus. Yeah, yeah, this goes across all of college football. If your quarterback doesn't have a monster arm. Stop having them throw from the near hash to the far numbers. Stop. Because Purdue had a pick on that, too. Like, Petras can't do that. I remember Texas was doing that with Sam Ellinger, and I was like, that's not the throw that he can make. Or, excuse me, not Sam Ellinger. Um, 
quarterback before that, um, the guy that transferred to SMU. I'll, I'll think of his name in a second, but he can't do it. He can't make that throw. Stop Stop having him make Shane Bouchelle. He'll stop, he can't make that throw. Don't have him do that throw. Have him not do that. It's bad. And so for me, and then so flipping it to Iowa, the, like the thing for me, limited offensively, obviously, offensive line issues and the biggest, which offensive line issues, which even though I was extremely thrilled a week ago, right, when they or two weeks ago when they went to 22 personnel and got heavy and ran the football, I didn't think about it from the other side of it of, oh, if your heavy doesn't work, you're never going to score. Because the other issue for them is, excuse me, they don't, they, they, from the five minute in downward, no throws into the actual end zone. No, no, none into the actual end zone. You're down by 17. Maybe put the ball in the place that you have to get so that you can have a chance to win the game. They, they can't. Exactly. And it was a combination of wide receivers, they cannot get open. I like Regania. I think he's nice, but he needs the route combo to get him open, not him just by himself getting loose. I listen, the tight ends, they covered them and they covered them with safeties a lot of times. So guess what? They're not going to be open. The, um, so your wide receivers not getting open is one. Number two, offensive line, just not holding up against the Purdue pass rush. Uh, again, shout out to Carl Aftis, who we talked about already. Uh, and then number three, that's just not who they are as a football team, right? Like they don't like the big, the long touchdown to Reganey was beautiful. One of my favorite, my favorite play of, of a couple of weeks ago, right? Loved it. It was all set up because of the because of their ability to move over here and then throw the ball back across and show some show one thing and do another. Guess what? You burn that play. It's not going to work again. Not you can't do it anymore. Everybody knows what it is. Um, which, by the way, Oklahoma burned a play and they had it on it as an incompletion and it stinks because it's a really good play. It's a down the field rub route. It's 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 fine. Like that that, that we're not that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, but no, for Purdue, like. I mean, excuse me, for Iowa, the inability to push the ball down the field was not just clear. It was, I mean, I'll do it. I don't care. This this is going to be just cheesy as hell, but like, it was a clear and present danger. Like, I'll go straight to the, the Jack Ryan series on that because not only was it clear, not only was it very, like, present, it was a, it was a, of the moment, and it's it's there it's dangerous for them as a football team to have that as a central problem because it's the thing that everybody talked about right like yeah if you jump on them what's going to happen yep and and it was exactly what we thought was the limiting factor um all right so we'll st- we'll stay on that we'll figure out when you know what what they do as as the season goes on um we're going to do our flavor of the week which we started sure. as a new segment last week but real quick do you believe georgia which is number one in the country right now, mm-hmm. is head and shoulders above everyone else in the country right now. Everyone think, else has flaws. I think everyone else has flaws. I still think Georgia might have some flaws, but I do think that defensively, they are... I think they're, they're clearly the best defense. Offensively, still questions that need to be answered. Not saying they're bad, but they're questions that need to be answered. You know, like, like literally you wrote, do we buy the offense? And I, my question was, which one? Because JT Daniels, we still have, we haven't seen him in what four weeks. Stetson Bennett started the last three and played the one before. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been like a month. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Like I, it's 
And then we see them push the ball down the field a little bit, and then we see them kind of back down from 11 passes against Arkansas because they could just win by beating them up up front. It was big boy on big boy, and they kind of bullied it out of the way. And then you see the, 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 the game against Kentucky, and they're like, okay, well, we need to stretch them a little bit. So they stretch them just a little bit. And so it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like for them as they get into, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen at Florida. They, they can't stop anybody. But it's going to be interesting uh, going forward. I just I still have questions, and I think it's okay to have questions. They are the number one team in the country. They should be the number one team in the country. But it's okay also to have questions about what they look like. I think when you ask questions, you get smarter versus just accepting things as truth and and not, you know what I mean? Like like this is it's an it's an evolving. Every single football team in the country is an evolving picture. Yeah, I think right now they're definitely the best team in the country. I still think that we have not, for for as many points as they've scored, for as well as Stetson Bennett has played, um, you know, I mean, we we still haven't seen them against a great, great defense and the types of defenses you're going to need to beat to win a national championship. So, um, so we'll 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 wait. I mean, I, I still keep thinking about the way that we watched that Georgia Clemson game and obviously teams have grown teams have gotten better but that was an elite defense that is one of the best defenses in the country and they didn't have an offensive touchdown right so we need to get to that type of defense um and see how they've grown against it um all right let's let's get to our flavor of the week this is our segment where we talk about what we're cooking and also you know who we like like who is our actual flavor of the week um I'll start so I was home on Saturday for the first time in a couple weeks. So when Mm -hmm. I am home watching games, I always like to make something that will like make my kitchen and apartment smell nice and have something to look forward to in the later part of the evening to eat. So I made... That's interesting. That's interesting because I don't... Saturday is the only day I don't cook. I like having something simmering. Like I like having something in the works and that I can have like a hearty meal or something sure, at, the, I get at it. the end. Um, so I made, I made a beef stew and nice. it is delicious. It's an oven, oven recipe. So, cause I've done, I've done the, I've done the slow cooker thing. Um, love slow cookers, but for this specific recipe, it's just, it's just really good in the oven and it was delicious. It's like a carrot and potato one, very basic. Um, but you got some bay leaves in there. Got a lot of time and, um, just the flavor, the flavor is great. So that was my best thing I made this week. And mm-hmm. my flavor of the week on the field is Auburn. It's Bo Nix looking good, playing well, um, and then beating Arkansas. And, like, Bo Nix for me, you know, he finished 21-26, uh, 292 yards, like, you know, two touchdowns total for him in the ground on the air. He is turning into must-see TV. Like, he's doing crazy stuff. You don't ever quite know. But recently, it's been better than bad. You know, there's been more good than bad. Um, But, like, this was on the road. He used to be, you know, he could not play on the road. This was, I I thought it was great. I I think Auburn's a really interesting team. They're now 5-2. and Not sure how many people have been paying super close attention to them since the Penn State game. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, like, the the meme about Bo Nix, like, this is the year, he's improving, all that, like, he's not going to win the Heisman, but, like, the rest of that stuff is, you know, we can start poking fun at it, but also taking it a little more seriously. He is getting better, and they're my flavor of the week. I like it. I dig it. So, for me, uh, I made Old Bay smoke wings this weekend, and so I'm going to stick in that Old Bay zone, right? Old Bay, to me, that's... That's all. That's all Merlin. That's all Baltimore. The whole deal. So I'm. I'm very excited for Maryland, Minnesota. Minnesota coming off the the win against Nebraska, uh, and Maryland was a team that we got excited about for a second, and then Iowa and Ohio State happened. So they got a week off. I want to see how they rebound. But Old Bay Smoke Wings get into it. It's literally like and and, and served it up with a little crab ranch. So let's go. Ooh. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'm repping Crab Ranch. Yeah, I'm repping the DMV. I'm 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 deep in my DMV bag. Like we're we we're really feeling Chesapeake Bay right now, baby. <laughs> that sounds delicious. All right, give me your give me your team. Give me your on field flavor of the week. Oh, I just I I think it's just the game, right? Like it's like Maryland. Like I guess the flavor of the like I think Maryland's gonna bounce back. I think they bounce back. I'm very intrigued by this game with Minnesota. That's the big thing for me because I I just. I think they've got something. I think they just really got derailed in their last two games. And a week they I don't think there's a team that needed a week off more than them. <laughs> I mean, good grief. So I'm looking forward to watching. I, I'm I, I will have my eyes intently focused in on Maryland. I think that they're gonna I think this is an interesting game to try to bounce back in because Minnesota, they feel good about themselves now after feeling bad about themselves for a little while. So it's two teams that are like on opposite ends of the spectrum. This the game itself is my flavor of the week. Okay, all right, I like that. And yeah, Minnesota is playing a lot better. Tanner Morgan, looking like Tanner Morgan again. I'm I'm excited for that one. And now it's time for our last calls, and this is the part of the show where we we've already ranted on some stuff, but this is in case we haven't ranted enough. This is space to do that, also to rave. And to celebrate something. It's whatever we would cheers to. Yeah. At last call, at the bar. I will go first. The Athletic has its midseason All America teams out mm-hmm. today. And the most unlikely, I'm not gonna say most unlikely, because I mean he was a veteran quarterback coming in. But, you know, we were we were all really high on Spencer Rattler. We were really high on Sam Howell. We high on Derek King. All these other guys. My last call goes to Kenny Pickett. First team, midseason, All-America. And just, like, he's legitimately in the Heisman race. He is playing really well. He is taking care of the ball. He is not turning the ball over like he used to. Not throwing interceptions. He is so deserving of this. Like, he, first off, it feels like he's been there forever, but this is his fifth year. He's, he's the extra eligibility. They're number three scoring offense. He's third nationally pass efficiency, completing 70% of its balls. Leads all quarterbacks in completion percentage on throws at least 20 yards downfield. Like, he's, he's really good. If, if this Pitt team didn't lose to Western Michigan, we'd be talking about them differently, but there's still... I still think they're going to win the Coastal. I think they're going to get to the ACC title game. And Kenny Pickett is having a heck of a year. So my last call goes to him because as funny as it was a couple weeks ago to say, oh, you know, Kenny, should Kenny Pickett be in the Heisman race? You know what? This Heisman race is all over the map. Absolutely he should be in there. 
And absolutely, he has been deserving of being the best quarterback in the country at the midseason point. I love it. I'm a I'm a Kenny Pickett fan. I I've, I was a Kenny Pickett fan when he was committed to Temple. Like that's how deep my Kenny Pickett roots go. So I'm 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 in on that. You know what? I have a rant in here where people are really making me very angry, very angry, and I'm gonna avoid it because I'm mad enough already. This is true. I'm gonna, on a da- on a daily basis. I'm, yes, just- on, just on the daily. I'm I and I I'm I'm I. I live my life with so much anger boiling inside my body. And it's what fuels me. It is what fuels me. It, it is. But I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with, um, you mentioned Kenny Pickett. I'm going to mention Frank Harris. UTSA. Yes. Um, watching him deal with the 2019 season where first four games and then obviously done. Then grow in 2020. And then 2021, He's this guy can play. He can spin it. Like, he's really good. He can hold you with his legs. He's got a quick release. He is, he's got a strong enough arm to move the ball around the field, even to throw the ball that I hate, that near hash, far, far, far numbers ball. He can do it. Um, you throw in Franklin and Cephas, uh, sincere, uh, McCormick at the running back spot. Like, there are plays, and we talk about it a little bit with Caleb Williams, but there are plays where their running back is able to pick up big yardage because everyone is so worried about what Harris is going to do. And I think it's beautiful to watch, and I really, I've enjoyed it. Like I, we we did a pregame the other week, and they asked me about what game's going to be explosive offensively, and I was like, um, UTSA and Western Kentucky. Have you seen these teams play between Bailey Zappi, Bailey Zappi, and Frank Harris? Like we got a big game, baby. Let's go. So I just, I, I want to give them a little bit of shine on a stage that they might not usually get mentioned. I, I really like this UTSA team. Oh, and by the way, they play a little bit of defense too. Uh, opportunistic. They don't always get stops, but they're opportunistic. And I just, I mean, the fact that they're ranked for the first time, I think warrants getting, getting a little bit of uh, a little bit of love. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm proud of us for ending on positive notes today. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's, there's a lot to be angry about and we're being, we're choosing to be positive. Yeah. I'm, and, listen, and that's, it's like Potomac, right? Good vibes only GVO real housewives <laughs> of Potomac GVO. Let's go. We will wrap there, quoting the Real Housewives franchise. Thank you for listening to Power Hour, the only place you can get detailed X's and O's analysis and Real Housewives content. If you are not already an Athletic subscriber, sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a very special deal on an annual subscription. On the feed the rest of the week, you'll get One True Pod with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, Sam Khan. Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman will be back on the feed later this week. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. We will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 